This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey guys, welcome back to The Treatment Room. I am your host, Tessa Zolli. So I'm so excited and I just want to get right into today's episode because I have so much to say. And one of my listeners, shout out the Virgo female, actually suggested this topic and I think it's a really good idea because it's something that has shaped my business over the past few years. And that is micro-influencing and influencing as an esthetician. So I want to talk about that today. And, you know, I think we're starting to realize there are so many opportunities available to estheticians. For me, day one of SD school, we went through this whole list of jobs available to SDs, and that included things like working for a brand, working in cosmetic chemistry, being a writer for a magazine or a publication as an SD, being an educator, so many cool things. And a new category that is emerging for estheticians is this whole idea of influencing. I think brands are realizing if they're going to spend the money on gifting and product and put their put their products in somebody's hands, it is really credible to their name to put those products in the hands of estheticians. Estheticians automatically have more trust and credibility because of their education and their professionalism. So I think, you know, back in the day, the big thing was celebrity endorsements and that evolved to blogger gifting and, you know, things like really wanting to buy a product because your favorite influencer said they used it. I think as time has gone on and we've just been (laughs) saturated with so many ads and sponsorships in our face 24-7, we've gotten more and more savvy. So we see a celebrity endorsement, we probably (laughs) automatically question it. At least I hope you do a little bit. We see a blogger posting about a product and I mean, at least I know I automatically question it. Of course, there are people who might be suckers for these things, but as a whole, I think people are getting more savvy and brands know this, they realize it and they know it's a big win for them if they can put their products in the hands of the professionals. So if you're a skincare brand, a wellness brand, why wouldn't you want to reach out to professional estheticians to, you know, get their seal of approval? It adds a level of credibility for brands. So I think this is, you know, a big reason why estheticians are are going to start to be targeted by brands and reached out to. So I think it's good to talk about and, you know, shouldn't be this behind the scenes kind of conversation because I know a lot of SDs are, you know, experiencing this brand outreach, even if you're not the biggest brand in the world. And we're going to talk about why that's okay, but a lot more estheticians are 
being offered things like gifting, paid opportunities. So I want to talk about my tips today for getting into this whole world of micro-influencing as an esthetician and answer some of your guys' questions that you submitted to my Instagram, to my Instagram at my Tessa. I think, again, there's so much promise for estheticians. We really are the next professional influencers. And it's something I've experienced firsthand. And let me tell you guys, the second and the sooner you start believing it and not just manifesting it, thinking about it, really putting in the time, the sooner it can become a reality. It's a real thing. People are paid and are able to supplement their income as influencers. So some of you may know this year I stepped away from the treatment room. This gave me time to put into my business and to spend on creating content and eventually some really cool brand sponsorships. I've had the opportunity to work with some great brands I really believe in. It comes to the whole wellness and beauty sector as well as skincare, there are a lot of brands who are really excited to work with estheticians. So it certainly is possible. That said, I have been laying the groundwork for this for a while. It didn't happen overnight. And something I think is important is that for me, it's always been about sharing and documenting the journey. I never waited to be this perfect, polished licensed esthetician and maybe that works for some maybe it doesn't work for others but that's really just been part of my process social media has always been natural genuine and fun for me I actually worked in social media I worked at e-news as the social media manager before I became an esthetician so it's always been something that's fun for me and I think that is really key if it's not fun for you it's gonna get old real quick the gifting is I promise you guys it's cool for <laughs> you know it's cool for a little bit. It's cool for a couple months and then your apartment <laughs> starts to get packed. You have more skincare than you can use and then what? Then you can't do anything with it. So be in it for the right reasons and just always have it be genuine. I mean, I picked up my vlog camera day one of SD school and I've seen it through because it's just been enjoyable for me. I think I enjoy the process. It's fun for me. And I recognize there are parts of being an influencer or a content creator that aren't always fun and dandy. I mean, I'm recording this podcast when I'm sick and, you know, could be resting, having downtime, but it's part of the job. It's part of the gig. And I have always really just taken it taking it seriously. And I do enjoy it so much that it doesn't bother me if I'm sick and I'm recording an episode because I enjoy it. I miss you guys. It's my way of expressing myself and a creative outlet and a way to feel like I'm giving something back. So I would say always, always have you know, something at the heart of it beyond a material thing, like wanting to have a following, wanting to, you know, work with product and get free product because trust me, that shine does wear off 
very quickly. So you've got to enjoy it. Now, I wanted to say off the bat, (laughs) I don't think I'm this like massive cool influencer at all. I'm very humble. I know my audience is small and to me, that's okay. And that isn't discouraging, but I think that's important. And I want people to know you don't have to be a huge influencer in order to make money or to be an influencer if you want to do it full time. Sure, it's got to be more consistent. And in the beginning, it's probably not going to be a consistent thing you can rely on for your bills. For me, it's still not that way. It's kind of fun money. And, you know, it's it's not at the point where I would um, quit my day job and totally rely on it. But if you can spend the time and prioritize it, even if it means after work or in your free time, I think it can definitely pay off. You don't have to be the biggest quote unquote influencer in the world. There are definitely brands that set aside a budget for working with big names, but a lot of them might find a lot of them might find they set aside that huge budget and their sales kind of stayed the same. And they might find working with a micro influencer, they get a certain level of exposure or generate more sales because of that trust in the relationship between the follower and the blogger. So It's not necessarily about having a huge audience, though that is certainly possible. It's not me, but those SDs who are doing it big are out there for sure. So it really is possible and it is a growing area of the industry. I have always had pretty slow and steady growth and I want to talk about growth a little bit too, but I just want to say do not underestimate that strong engagement because that can actually convert to really strong sales and more business. So for me, that's always been most important to me is keeping that trust and that engagement versus taking every little deal that comes my way because That can only add up to so much, but once I lose that trust, and believe me, there are also big names that are losing trust left and right, and it's really sad, and you never want to lose that because once it's gone, it's gone. So remember that. Stick to your values. Spend time thinking about your values and the brands you want to work with, what you want your ethics and your reputation to be. I'm not really, you know judging my progress by whether I get to a certain double digit. To me, it's about maintaining that trust. I know people know me. They come to me for a reason. They follow me for genuine recommendations and they trust me. And that will always be my goal no matter what. And I get it. It's There's going to be opportunities that will come up. There's going to be you know, times where where you'll think, "Mm, could I just bend on this philosophy because, you know, so-and-so just reached out and I don't know when that opportunity is going to come up again. Trust me, the trust is more important than anything. A few hundred dollars is never going to be worth losing that trust. 
Okay, let's talk about growth. So I think when most people talk about growing a following, they automatically think Instagram. So this is my tip number one. If you're serious about growth, I want you to think about an additional platform that you can have outside of Instagram and give it a solid effort. And maybe that's not, you know, maybe that's kind of an unpopular opinion. And I'm not saying you can't make it on Instagram. I'm just saying pretty much everyone you know probably has an Instagram, meaning it is very saturated. Every SD I know is on Instagram which they should be. You need that platform for your business. It's going to be a big hub for you, but I would consider I would consider other outlets if if your goal really is growth. I think Instagram is there for marketing and for branding, but it's not going to necessarily help you grow super fast because the algorithm is <laughs> so stubborn and and tricky with Instagram. So I still think TikTok is actually a really underrated way to grow, even though people have now realized its potential. It's not the hot new thing anymore, but it is kind of a good note, at least that I've learned when new platforms like TikTok pop up, I think our first reaction is to think, oh, like another form of social media. I'm tired. I can't do it. Um, and not every form of social media ends up, you know, staying the the next hot thing. So it's not always worth it. I think Clubhouse is an example of something we thought was going to be huge and then just kind of fizzled out. But when these do, when these new platforms do pop up, I think it's cool to be open minded and to give it a try because that's the time when <laughs> that's your ticket to growth. And even still with TikTok, it is still underrated and an undervalued way to grow on Instagram. I mean, there's even videos now, like, you know, of people showing off their Instagram on TikTok because people have realized the way to get big on Instagram is not through Instagram. It's through other platforms and people will then find your Instagram. I think with with Instagram, it's just, it's hard to be seen as a small page. Whereas with TikTok, you can make your first video and theoretically it can hit a million views. Doesn't happen all the time, but people do blow up after their first video. So just the the ease of growth on TikTok is more accessible and you have more visibility even as a page with no followers. Whereas with Instagram, if you don't have a lot of followers, the chances of you popping up on the Discover page or being seen by new people is relatively slim. So that's something I think is is important. And while I've never had explosive growth, I have realized one of the keys to my small success is having multiple channels, not putting all of your eggs in one basket, especially Instagram. And this has allowed me to slowly grow, even though it's not explosive followers overnight, it's a little bit on each platform 
daily, which is slowly exponentially just growing because of the reach I have on different platforms. So keep posting and keep cultivating those engagements and growing relationships while putting yourself out there on multiple platforms. Tip number two, you probably have already heard this, but if you do want to grow on Instagram, video content is where it's at right now. And I think a reason that's hard for people is people hate to see themselves on camera. They hate the sound of their own voice. People are way too critical of themselves. So people are sticking to feed posts. Feed posts, again, not the golden ticket, not the way to gain exposure. So we have to kind of rethink what we have trained our mind is the way to grow as an influencer because it's not traditional feed posts on Instagram. That's probably the slowest way to grow and the easiest way to get really frustrated because you're doing the same thing every day, posting daily still posts on Instagram not seeing results. It's because we need to prioritize the video content. IG lives, reels, videos, talking on stories where people see your face. Those are the best ways to boost your engagement, which is going to boost your growth. Right now, if I were a brand new influencer starting day one, I would make making reels a priority. I would focus on making one to two reels a day this is going to be your best chance at exposing content to new followers. Even if this means making TikToks and putting them on reels, honestly, that's my strategy right now, guys, because I only have so much time to do podcasts, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. So I'm still actually using repurposing TikTok videos on Instagram reels. And while I've heard that Instagram does try to kind of block those videos because of the watermark. It's still been relatively beneficial for me. I've got some decent numbers, some videos that just didn't hit at all, but some that have picked up and have been a great way to generate followers. And it's also signaling the algorithm that I am creating Reels content, which is slowly (laughs) allowing me to grow. I think a big mistake people do make when it comes to trying to become an influencer is looking at big names and trying to duplicate what has already been done and what was cool five or 10 years ago. So for example, the Dallas Esthetician really became popular. One of the reasons is because she started posting these really cool detailed charts. So now in 2021, people are thinking, charts must be the ticket. I'm going to start duplicating these charts. And it's like, when I'm scrolling on the feed, I've already seen that. Like, it might be cool. I might share it. It is still eye-catching and cool, but it's not the way to boost your algorithm that people are banking on and depending on. You would be so much better off thinking of an original video idea and posting an original Reels video, even if you look a little goofy, looks a little silly, we're dancing around, you don't have to do the dancing ones, but there are lots of fun trends when it comes to sounds, audio. Um, That's one of the reasons I like being on TikTok. I feel like 
I don't see as many of the trends on Instagram. So if I'm on TikTok and I'm catching trends early and then I go to Instagram and post that video, it's funnier because not as many people have seen that trend and it comes across more original. But I think, again, one of the biggest mistakes is thinking, what worked a few years ago as the way to be an influencer, which is posting feed pics, that's not going to work the same with the algorithm now. I think the feed posts are overrated. We still need to be posting them. But really, I think the ticket that's like so obvious is posting unique content people haven't seen or heard. Yeah, you might get a certain number of likes because you're posting, you know, these cool charts. But is it something special? Are people going to remember you for it? If it's just another version of something being recycled or duplicated, it just doesn't hit as much as if you were to to go out on a limb and be a little bit vulnerable and take a risk. I think the biggest influencers and names you think about that you think, oh, it'd be so, I think this person is so cool. I think it'd be so cool to be like her. It's because they did something that hasn't been done before. So I want you to think about what is that for you? If you're spending all of your time when it comes to marketing your business, creating these still posts for your feed, I think you're doing it wrong. I think we should still do those things, but if you're spending hours on Canva, you know, spending time on these still posts, your feed might look great, but it's not necessarily the best way to grow. And I think it's sometimes hard for people to realize that and step you know, step out of the comfort zone and put your face on video. That's really, I think, the best way to grow right now. And I would like to see more people being unique, being themselves and stop regurgitating what has been done because that's not influential. Tip number three goes without saying, but we got to be prepared to post consistently. If this means taking some time to batch and plan out content to avoid overwhelming yourself, like, oh my gosh, it's Friday. I haven't posted all week. Um, rather than that, I think it's good to go into the content game, batching a few episodes before you even launch your page. So you don't get overwhelmed. I personally don't content plan. Everything is very much on the fly for me, but I know that wouldn't work for a lot of people. And depending on how busy you are, things could kind of fall to the wayside. And you do want to keep up and post consistently, even when it gets hard. I know, like, trust me, sometimes it gets hard. I can't think of an idea or I'm not in the mood to film or I'm too busy, but I really try not to fall off a schedule and fall off my goals for myself, which include, you know, a couple TikToks a week, a YouTube video a week, a podcast a week, a couple feed posts, posting on stories daily, maybe going live, posting reels. I try to have some numbers in mind when it comes to my level of consistency because otherwise I will just <laughs> kind of fall off. And from there, it just gets more and more discouraging. So I wouldn't try to be 
perfect with absolutely everything you post. I think it's better to keep up the momentum and keep posting consistently. You're never going to feel like that was the most perfect post ever. It could always be better. But in my mind, of course, you want to have quality in mind, but definitely want to be posting at a volume in order to keep up with algorithms. If you're just posting one perfect um, IGTV video or one perfect story to your Instagram a week, that's great. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm sure your feed looks incredible, but it doesn't give people as many opportunities to get to know you, what you value, and, you know, to learn from you. So don't miss out on opportunities because you're trying to be perfect. Have some goals in mind and be consistent, even if you feel like I could have done a little bit better. It's better to try and put it out there. Even if it doesn't hit, you will learn from it. Tip number four, you got to have a niche. So I know this is the only reason I was able to grow on YouTube. When I first started posting on YouTube, I was posting makeup videos and favorites videos because I was watching influencers like Jaclyn Hill and Desi Perkins, Summer McKean, people who were my favorites, and I was trying to emulate them. I saw their success. I liked their videos. So I posted similar videos. These did not do well. If I continued doing that, I probably, my videos probably wouldn't have picked up. The only reason I was able to be successful is because I was posting in a category really nobody was posting about. Nobody was posting about esthetician school and I didn't realize it. It really was just what I enjoyed and, you know, I couldn't find that information. So I thought it would be helpful to share, but that's really the reason some of my videos picked up in the algorithm. And that's, you know, how I was able to build a following on YouTube, which is also very saturated. And at the time I was starting to post on YouTube, it was hard to break through and it, it was still hard. I mean, I remember staring at the numbers. I remember reaching 30 subscribers, how hard that was <laughs> that entailed, like emailing all of my extended family to follow me. That's what I did in the beginning. And getting to 100 followers was a big deal. Those were the hardest numbers to reach. But my point is, to have a niche. The more specific you can be about the kind of content you want to create, the better. I think because content creation is getting more saturated, you need something unique about you, whether it's your personality or the type of content you are posting. And don't overthink it. Everybody has something unique that can be watchable or enjoyable but just be specific. The more specific, the better. If you can use those specific keywords that people are searching for and create content in that white space, that will just give you more eyes. So I know it's hard to think about what makes me unique. How can I be even more specific in the category, but I'm telling you that so you don't waste your time and so you're not just regurgitating content. People like to go to experts. So the more specific you can be, 
people like to follow specific experts, whether you are a you know, a specific type of fashion blogger or a specific type of, of esthetician. If you specifically focus on extractions, you specifically focus on chemical peels, that is so much better than just trying to go out into the saturated skincare blogger market or saturated fashion market. It doesn't mean you can't be successful, but I'm telling you the key to growth now is being specific about who you are helping. Tip number five, last tip before I get into answering some of your questions is you should really have a media kit if you want to take influencing seriously. So there are lots of examples on Canva. I love the app Canva. I think it's very much worth the pro subscription, but you could start out with the free version. They have lots of good templates. So from Canva, I would make a media kit. And if you're just starting out, if you've never made content before, you don't need to make this first thing. But once you're to the point where you're thinking about reaching out to brands, you're going to want to have that because that's that is your almost like your resume when it comes to the content, paid content type of game. Your media kit should detail what platforms you have. If you've worked with previous partners, who are they? Detail what what you're about, what you share about, what your niche is again, and your statistics. So I have all my platforms in my media kit my numbers, and it is smart to continue to update this before you reach out to brands so you can earn your maximum potential if you're going to get paid. So when it comes to getting paid, (laughs) this is obviously what everybody wants. And I'm just going to be honest, it can definitely happen when you are starting out as a content creator, it can happen. But again, it's probably not going to be something that you rely on to pay your bills. So make sure you have a media kit in place, even if you've never worked with brands before. If you are talking to brands and reaching out to get paid, you should have a media kit. There are different ways to reach out to brands. I think tagging brands, by the way, is so underrated and it's it's great to be tagging brands to kind of get on a brand's radar and to show that you're interested in the brand and you genuinely like it and would share it for free. That also makes the collaboration more natural if people have seen, oh, she's tagged this brand in the past for free. It makes sense that she's doing a sponsored video. She's already you know shared about them and loves them. Sometimes I'll ask brands via DM if they have a point person for marketing. And from there, I think it's best to email them if you are thinking about how can I get paid? How can I work with them? The best way to do that is to find the contact, reach out, send your media kit. I like to ask if a brand is open to collaborations. And personally, I like to ask if they're open to working with professionals slash micro influencers. And I think that is also appealing to a lot of brands. So that's that's my process for reaching out. I will say I don't reach out to brands super, super often 
more often they do come to me and that's because they like working with smaller content creators or professionals that they might find me through my social media. A lot of brands are actually searching for micro-influencers and professionals, so don't underestimate that. And it is a good idea to, again, have a media kit if you're getting to that point where you're thinking about, am I ready to have paid collaborations? It's good to have it ready in case somebody reaches out and asks if you do have any sponsored opportunities or collaborations available. Next, I want to answer some of your questions submitted through Instagram. This is going to be, this is going to be the most fun. Okay. Question number one, archangel.browse asked, how do you sort through all the offers and choose? What are your values that you live by for them? So for me, I'm really picky and, you know, everyone has to decide what their values are. I think for me, I understand people know me and my expectations And my clients know my expectations and standards. So if I'm posting about The Ordinary or L'Oreal, it just kind of would demean (laughs) everything I've um, ever really posted about when it comes to really believing in tried and true clinical and professional lines. Um, I think it's more and more tempting for estheticians to work with, you know, any brand that comes their way, but I would really encourage people to stick to their values because it's, your brand is not going to make sense long-term if you have one standard for the products in your treatment room and your clients, and then you're accepting, you know, deals from brands you would never recommend to your clients. So that's, I think, the thing you have to keep in mind. I always just know my clients are going to see this and they might be influenced to buy this if I post about it. That's what they're following me for, my recommendations and guidance. And if I'm, you know, promoting a line that (laughs) I would never work with on a client, that's where the trust gets lost. So I always choose to work with professional skincare lines. And luckily there are some great lines in that realm to work with. It doesn't mean I have as many opportunities, but it does make the partnerships more meaningful. So I have accepted gifting and even paid sponsorships from brands like New Face, Neova, Color Science, um, Oxygenetics, Makeup, because these are brands that I would actually recommend to my clients or even devices that, you know, I believe in or are FDA approved, like Light Stim or New Face, that would just make sense for me. And again, this means I am probably ignoring one email a day from a brand that might be clean, it might be popular, but again, I have to keep in mind my values and ethics. And I really do try to, I mean, I do stay true to those because there's no other way to go about it. If I lose that trust, you know, I've really just kind of undermined myself and it doesn't make sense. Okay. Next question, how to get noticed and land partnerships. Next, from Chloe X, 
Chloex, how to get noticed and land partnerships. I think the best way to get noticed is to be true to yourself, to create original content, to be consistent, to put yourself out there on multiple platforms because all of brands reach out because they found me from all different platforms. Maybe somebody saw me on TikTok, somebody saw me on YouTube, somebody saw me on Instagram. Lots of brands are looking for different things. So I would put yourself out there on as many platforms as feels comfortable and fun for you. And that's just going to, again, increase your odds of being noticed. But be particular about your values and the products you do work with. I think brands also notice that when you are really picky and you have standards for yourself, you create, you know, good content that's original, high quality. I think that's what brands notice. And you have to keep in mind, brands are looking at your page already as if it's kind of the canvas for their products. So if your feed doesn't have high quality photographs, if it's not appealing aesthetically, if it's not clean, you got to think about from their perspective, like, would you pay to have a product advertised on that type of medium? When somebody really pays attention to to their platform and, you know, it looks clean, it looks like thought is put into it. Brands notice that and maybe it just looks natural and effortless and that's part of consciously what goes into the organization, but you have to keep from their perspective, they're putting their reputation in your hands. So you kind of got to think of your page as a little bit of a canvas for their products. Editing software you use and how you learn to edit. Okay, I am not fancy at all. Um... I assume she's talking about YouTube. So when it comes to YouTube, (laughs) this is embarrassing. I've always used iMovie, which my brother is a music video director and producer. And when I told him I worked with iMovie, he was like so embarrassed and told me no one is using iMovie these days. Let me tell you, better to use iMovie And to be able to use it consistently without problems and it's not intimidating, then to invest in Final Cut Pro, not know how to use it, and never make videos because you're overwhelmed. I actually have friends who've done exactly that. They've bought the the top-of-the-line equipment and they never use it because they don't want to take the time to learn how to use it. It's confusing. There's a million buttons. I really highly suggest iMovie if you're starting out on YouTube because you don't need to be Emma Chamberlain with the fanciest transitions ever. You're probably just going to need to cut clips, add sound, adjust sound, adjust lighting a little bit if you have to. And you can do that all in iMovie. And it's not, it's not something most people notice when they're watching videos. So you really just need to be able to do basic editing, cutting, adding sound. I also use something called Epidemic Sound for my sound library when it comes to YouTube, because if you guys don't know, music is really limited when it comes to YouTube. You can only use music that is 
copyright free, basically, if you don't want to get strikes against you and you want to monetize your content. So keep that in mind. I think there are some creators who don't monetize their content and just make really bomb videos with great music. It depends on kind of what your vibe is. But for me, I tend to use royalty free stuff because I just (laughs) don't want to get any strikes and I want to be able to monetize my videos. So those are the main um, software editing platforms I use. When it comes to TikTok, I just use TikTok. I edit within the app. There's, you know, a lot of different features you can use to make edits. And then when those, when you translate those videos to Instagram, you have all those transition tools um, from the TikTok editing. What else? The only like lighting editing tool I use is... Lightroom, which I really enjoy. I really like the natural option, I believe it's called, that just makes you like a little bit more tan. I know a lot of people like Snapseed. A lot of people like the Teza app. I really stick to Lightroom. Camera and camera tools you use. So for YouTube, I have the G7X camera. It is a relatively affordable camera for new YouTube users and the the quality is good. There are definitely things that have surpassed it, um, but I think that's a great starter camera. It's pretty easy to use and understand and you can also find, you know, options on Amazon that have been gently used for a good discount. So I really love my G7X. It is the Mark II and I use that for YouTube videos, but when it comes to just taking pictures, I use my iPhone. When it comes to podcasting, I use the Zencaster platform for recording. I think the sound quality is better than Zoom. I have had a couple times where I wasn't able to use the software, had to use Zoom with guests, and I felt like the sound was off. So I don't know how other podcasters use Zoom. It drives me nuts, and I don't think the quality is that great. So I really do like Zencaster for podcasting, and then I edit all of my podcasts in GarageBand. I want to do it so bad. How do I even get started or get noticed? Okay, let's kind of break this down because we're talking about a few things in this question. I want to do it so bad. Okay, first you have to kind of decide what is it about content creation that attracts you. I think it's good to know your why. If you're looking at other influencers and think, it looks so fun to just live your life and film it and get paid and get gifting. It will not last. The shine will wear off. And most influencers will tell you they created content for a long time for free before a gifting or a paid opportunity was on the table. If you're just talking about wanting to create content, you can literally start doing that right now. Having influence is definitely relative. So you can start influencing people right now by knowing what your beliefs are and knowing what type of value you want to bring to your community. So I wouldn't worry about the number. I wouldn't worry about the money. I would literally just start creating 
content at scale. How do you get started? The thing that stands in most people's way is the self-judgment. Not even what other people will think. It's the voice we have in our head that is imagining what other people are going to think. So I think for everybody, there has to be a point in time where you realize what you want to do, what you want to say, the content you want to create. You have to decide that is more important than whatever voices are holding you back in your head. And if there are people in your life who are going to judge you and think it's sad or weird or pathetic that you're trying to be a quote unquote influencer, we don't need them. And it is really freeing to start a totally new, fresh page and have that be your outlet. I mean, if I wouldn't be able to post with the freedom I have on my personal page because yeah, on that page, I kind of am worried about, you know, who's watching, what people would judge me, but starting a new outlet And a completely new page was very freeing for me because anybody who chose to follow that page was there because they wanted to be there. I wasn't just, you know, starting my personal page and I had the same people from high school that were watching my skincare content. I started completely fresh and new and that gave me freedom to start posting what I was thinking about in the moment and not really overthink what I was sharing. I think for every influencer, though, there has to be a point where they decide the content they want to post is more important than whatever criticism or judgment they might get or have of themselves. I think the hardest part is really posting posting that first video or that first vulnerable piece of content. So for me, it was YouTube and I probably filmed five videos or so that I just never ended up posting because I wasn't confident in myself and I was kind of just playing around. And that's a good little stepping stone if if it's hard for you to kind of really fully start posting videos or content. I started recording the videos and just kind of getting in the rhythm, getting in the flow and not posting them. And then, you know, after maybe five or so, I ripped off the bandaid and just told myself, I'm going to post this. I literally remember sitting in my living room filming this favorites video. It's so funny to look back on early videos because they are so cringy. My outfit was cringy. I had like a red, I had like a red, um, handkerchief around my neck like I don't know if you guys remember when that was trendy um so funny to look back on uh really heavy eye makeup like I mean (laughs) it's just funny but at least I did it I was you know brave to post that and once I did that it just kept getting easier and you are vulnerable and that's something new to get used to. I would say that's one of the hardest parts of being a micro influencer or an influencer people may not necessarily talk about. It's that vulnerability of anyone anyone can judge me and yeah, I'm judging myself and I see things that are cringy and not perfect about myself but I'm posting it anyway. And 
it's not easy to do. And if it was, everybody would do it. Everybody would be an influencer, (laughs) but it does take that vulnerability that not everyone is, you know, willing to put themselves out there, do something that can be critiqued. It's hard to watch yourself back on camera. It's hard to listen to yourself. I can't tell you guys how many times I've recorded podcasts, pretty much every podcast I record. And then I think that could have been better. You know, you think of a million things you would have done differently, or you take a picture. It's never going to be a hundred percent perfect. You're always going to think I could have, you know, tweaked this, the lighting could be better, could be better there. My hair could look better, but it's part of the game of consistently posting is it's rare that you're going to have that perfect piece of content, but the vulnerability lies in continuously posting and producing content for your audience when it's not perfect. Um, And I think people like that and appreciate that. So how do you get started? You just start creating content and you create it at scale regularly. Give yourself goals and consistency. When I first started out on YouTube, it was once a week. At times, it's been two or three times a week. I've realized once a week is, you know, what's doable for me. And keep those little goals you have for your content in mind. Having a schedule is what is going to keep you accountable. And you just have to tell yourself right now, if you are going to do this, I am going to have to post at times when I feel vulnerable, when I don't feel perfect, when it's not totally convenient. And that is part of the gig. And I think influencers who have been in the game for a while will tell you that's probably the hardest part is being vulnerable and posting when it's not ideal or you feel vulnerable yourself. How do you get noticed? I think being noticed is not something you need to worry about off the bat. I think if you are consistent, if your content is original, if you do have quality to what you do, that gets noticed. It just, it just does. But if you worry about it off the bat, it's going to be hard to progress. And you don't need to worry about that. You can create a lot of videos that aren't perfect and that would not be worthy of a brand's approval, but you're going to have to, again, produce content at scale to get noticed. So I would just work on that, like literally being consistent and holding yourself to a standard for a number of posts you're going to post on a regular basis. I know it might sound kind of strict, but that is the only way to grow unless you happen to have viral videos, which it happens, but it's not going to happen for most people. So being consistent really probably is the best bet. I had one more question that was similar, but also very to the point. Somebody asked, how do I start doing this and when can I expect to make a profit? So I definitely appreciate the transparency and just the direct question because I think, let's be honest, this is a question if you're wanting to get into influencing that 
is attractive and people just want to know and not enough people talk about the monetary side of things. So I'm, I'm glad this question was asked and I appreciate it. I think my advice may be something that somebody doesn't necessarily want to hear, but all I can do is be honest. I think when it comes to influencing You just have to understand most successful bloggers or influencers you see, even micro-influencers, spent years creating content for free because they really loved it. And when we look at successful bloggers like Song or The Skinny Confidential, the money was not even part of the equation, but you know who they are because they provided value and they were specific in their niche about what they could offer the audience. And you can just tell when somebody's content comes from passion and it comes from the heart versus somebody who is willing to recommend anything and everything to make a quick buck. So I don't, I don't think that that's what you guys think, but I just want to set expectation that you have to be willing to do this for who knows long, who knows how long for free, because that's just the reality of it. Some people are natural born influencers and they might blow up quickly or they might find a white space where not as many people are talking about something and providing really valuable information. I think that person who is more niche, more specific, and produces great content at scale and provides value is going to be, quote unquote, successful faster than somebody who doesn't necessarily know what they're doing, you know, is trying different things. And that's okay. That was me. I was trying makeup, fashion, things I liked, but I wasn't getting specific early in the game. I might've saved myself some time, but that's why I'm making this podcast to tell you truly, I think the way to stand out these days is to be specific and clear about the value you provide and be genuine, be yourself. It's just obvious when somebody is playing a role and we're not acting, that's not what's going on. So it really has to come from the heart and you can start right now. I can't tell you when you are going to be successful because that really depends on you and when you want to start accepting sponsorships. I think there are some really great influencers. Let's take Emma Chamberlain, for example, who waited a long time to take sponsors. Her videos were really picking up and blowing up, and she was producing a lot of content. She was making videos almost daily, and they were simple. We don't have to overthink it. She was just making vlogs about her life, but they were interesting to watch because she has a unique personality. So again, get specific and find your niche, find what makes you unique and really lean into that. And just know it may take some time and it's not a bad thing to wait to accept sponsorships. We're coming from an abundance mentality, not a scarcity mindset of feeling like 
I have this opportunity now. If I don't take it, I may not have another opportunity like this again. If you have one paid opportunity, there are going to be more. So keep believing in yourself. So I hope that helps. It's not a concrete answer, but I just want to set the realistic expectation that you've got to do this because you love it for the love of the game and you will find in time creating content. It's not easy. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it, but it does take some sacrifice, sacrificing time with family or friends, social things, time you might be relaxing or watching TV. I will be honest, I don't relax (laughs) super often, which is partially a personal problem, but I just love creating content so much. I'm always thinking about it. But a lot of my downtime does go into the content and making that my business. So it depends how seriously you want to take it. But if you are interested in it, I would encourage anyone to try and don't give up easy. Most people drop off when, you know, they've been making videos on YouTube for a year and they haven't reached a thousand subscribers. It's really difficult to grow from the ground up. It looks easy when you're watching an influencer go from 10 thousand to 20,000 to 50,000, but that's because those numbers are exponentially growing. It is a lot harder when you don't have eyes on you to grow and go from the ground up from zero to 30 to a hundred people, but you have to do it because you love it and don't stop because it's probably on the other side of giving up that you start to find your stride. You start to find your people. You start to find little wins. And it doesn't have to be big sponsorship deals. It might just be people in your DMs telling you, hey, I really appreciate what you're doing. It's unique. It's needed. I know it takes time. And I just, I really appreciate what you share. That's what really fuels me and builds me. So I think you have to go into it with the mentality. I could make no money on this. And if I didn't make any money, would I still want to do it? I know it's tough. It's not like a traditional job, but that's just the reality of the influencer space. I wanted to talk a little bit about types of deals that might come your way as an influencer or a micro-influencer. Let's start with gifting. So gifting is when a brand decides to send you product, obviously. So the product is free. They are not necessarily paying you if it's just a gifting opportunity and the brand is expecting content for that gifting. I think there's pros and cons to gifting. So for me, it's obviously not my preference these days. I have been doing this for a while, for a few years. So I'm at the point where I don't accept so many gifting opportunities anymore, but in the beginning, it was a great way for me to get started and to get some experience working for brands, understanding how to make content for brands, how to make the content organic and make the brand happy while also keeping in mind the needs of my audience. So in the beginning, for example, a opportunity I accepted was working with Skin Store. They sent me a couple of new face devices and wanted a video on microcurrent. This was a fit and something that I accepted because 
I was receiving a product that I would have loved to have. I still use my new face and it's a product I believe in. It's FDA approved and cleared. It's something estheticians use in the treatment room and recommend at home for clients to really get the most out of their results. So new face, of course, skin store makes sense. And I could make an educational video about microcurrent, which my my subscribers were already asking asking me about anyway. I think there was actually a paid component in the sense that, yes, it was an affiliate partnership program along with gifting. And that is pretty common for a brand to say, we're going to gift you the product and also for compensation, provide you with an affiliate code, which means you will make a commission, a percentage of the sales, which can be negotiable, by the way. And that is our form of compensation. It's up to the influencer to decide if that's, you know, something they're willing to accept or not. I definitely have brands I turn down when it comes to gifting or affiliate programs because I've realized I don't want 20 affiliate programs. <laughs> you know, in my bio, it gets confusing. There's too many things. It kind of can get lost. So I'm now pickier about affiliate programs. And you also have to keep in mind, <laughs> my stomach is growling. Um, you have to keep in mind, we're going to get lunch after this, that you will be making content, putting in time and only making money if people buy product from that post. So you have to decide, is that a, a risk I'm willing to take? I've had affiliate partnerships that have been incredibly successful and have ended up making more money than I probably would have made had the brand offered a flat rate for the content. And I've had affiliate programs go nowhere. So it's it takes some judgment to decide is this something my audience is interested in? I've also realized affiliate programs for larger products such as a humidifier. I have done a, a partnership with a brand called CarePod and the brand partnership was totally in line with me and it's a product I like educating on and talking about anyway because I think humidifiers are beneficial. But I haven't to this day made one sale off of that partnership because it is a larger ticket item. I think it's maybe around $200 for the humidifier. So most people scrolling through the feed aren't prepared to drop that amount of money on a luxury item such as a humidifier. It might happen, but so far it hasn't happened for me. On the other hand, an example of a successful affiliate partner program I've done. And by the way, that is no shade against CarePod. I love them. I support them. I endorse them. It's one of my favorite parts of my nighttime routine. And I will put my affiliate link in the show notes. I love them. Incredible brand, small brand, small business. Love and support them. I'm just giving an example of a way an affiliate program could or couldn't make you money. And by the way, I'm okay. I expected not to make money and I was just willing to accept the gifting of the item since it is an expensive item and one that I wanted anyway. Okay, moving on to an example that was successful in terms of monetary gains for me. So I did do a partnership with a brand called Lash Food. They reached out 
and offered me gifting in addition to a commission-based affiliate program. Now, I went into this partnership with the mindset that I think is always good to have that I'm accepting this on the basis of I'm obsessed with this product. I want to share about it. I would share about it anyway. And I, I really want to use it and try it. And I also respect brands who let you try the product before asking to guarantee a post. By the way, some brands will gift you product just for you to try it. And in the off chance that you will post about it, other brands are more strict and will require it. So that's something you need to be clear on. Are they expecting a post for this gifting opportunity? And am I willing to take the chance if they're not letting me try it first and requiring a post? Is it something, you know, I'm confident I will like? There are so many situations where small businesses feel scammed by influencers or influencers feel scammed by brands. And usually it happens because there's not a clear contract and guideline. So just an aside that I always recommend having a contract, having in writing clearly what the expectation is on both the brand and the influencer's behalf, because it's really smart to have this in place to avoid any feelings of being misled or taken advantage of. So always get a contract in writing and be clear about the demands and the promises. So back to the example of the Lash Serum. Lash Food approached me and it was a win-win because I have been asked from clients for about a year now if I have a recommendation for a lash and brow serum. Now, some of you know my backstory with a lash serum. I was using one called Rapid Lash. Apparently, the formula has changed and it doesn't contain hormone-mimicking ingredients anymore, but who knows? At the end of the day, most conventional lash and brow serums contain something called prostaglandin analogs. These are hormone mimicking substances that basically alter the cycle of your lashes and your brows. They stimulate them to always be in a growth cycle, which long-term is harmful for the skin. Not everyone experiences side effects from lash and brow serums, but you'll see these products come with a pamphlet that lists a long disclosure of potential risks and side effects. So picture me age 25. Sorry, this story is a little long, but I went into my dermatologist because I had these crazy dark circles. I had fine lines. The damage around my eye area was obvious. I had no idea what was going on. I wasn't really an esthetician at the time, I don't think. And I just thought I was tired and kind of just thought this darkness was normal. I actually thought I needed Botox. Thankfully, I have an amazing dermatologist. Shout out Dr. Austin at Bay Area Cosmetic Dermatology, who told me, the second she saw me, she asked, are you using a lash and brow serum? And I was like, oh my gosh, she thinks I have long lashes. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Austin. She was like, 
in the nicest way possible. She was like, I can see the damage that is happening from using these products. Since that day, I've never touched these types of lash or brow serums because I've experienced firsthand the side effects. A lot of providers will say, you know, these side effects are rare. Not everyone experiences them, but I strongly believe otherwise since posting about these issues, I've been flooded with comments from people saying they had a horrible experience. So I really think lash and brow serums are kind of a dirty part of our industry. And I'm not willing as a skin professional to recommend something that will give you temporary gains while damaging your skin. Even if it's a small risk, I don't think it's a responsible recommendation. Long story short, I've been struggling with providing a recommendation when clients ask for the longest time. It is a pain point in the industry. Lash Food reached out and they are a brand that is completely plant-based. Their active ingredients are ginger root extract and collagen. They don't use hormone mimicking ingredients or prostaglandin analogs or drugs. They are actually organic and plant-based. So when they reached out and I saw that they were clinically trialed and proven, I saw the photos and the research, it was a total match and it fit a pain point I was trying to solve. I was looking for a product I could recommend that wasn't going to harm my clients while giving them the results they wanted. So it was a natural fit. I ended up making a TikTok that was an educational video about the risks of lash serums and why I support lash food. This video went semi-viral, it has over 100,000 views, and this happened to be a ad, and it happened to be an ad that was commission-based. I would have educated about the topic anyway, but to this, to this day, I've made over $1,000 from this affiliate program. That has been kind of a rare unicorn experience for me. Usually, I've seen affiliate programs for me as a small influencer kind of cap out at like 50 bucks, like most. Like I don't expect to make a lot of money off of them unless, again, you had like a viral video talking about the ad, but it really takes a special product for that to happen. So when it comes to affiliate programs and gifting, I would just be cautious, be careful, and be willing to accept the gifting on the basis of not making any money and just thinking this is a good experience for me to promote a product I care about while getting practice, making an advertisement or a sponsored post for a brand. I do think it's good to get a little bit of practice under your, under your belt with gifting types of deals before you get into sponsored posts. And I really appreciate those sponsorships now that I've paid my dues a little bit with gifting kinds of deals. And it's definitely possible for relationships with brands to grow if you do something like a gifting opportunity that relationship, you know, grows strong. I always try to throw in extra pieces of content just naturally because I already am choosing products I love and would recommend. So it makes it incredibly easy for me to make content 
about these brands. I never feel forced or awkward because I'm so picky about the sponsorships I do take. That means saying no to 90% of them, but then it makes it easier for me to make content. So that's kind of my strategy with choosing who I partner with. That said, a lot of times I feel brands can be misleading and say something like, you know, gifting often turns into paid posts and then you check back and it never does. They just keep saying, sorry, our budget is still the same. So again, just be willing to accept those opportunities for what they are. Don't have an expectation unless it's clearly in writing. We will do a gifting post and, you know, in three months we will do a sponsored collaboration. So I would just know that. I also want to say, I think it's a little bit tricky and a little bit of a gray area when it comes to deciding on gifting or paid opportunities and advocating for your worth. So I think there's a lot of messaging going on with micro-influencers right now where people are saying, you know, know your value, know your worth, don't accept gifting when you're spending all of this time on content. So I kind of see two sides to the story. On the one hand, when you accept gifting or non-payment for posts, it does lower the standard for everybody else. Because if there are people who are willing to promote products for free, it's harder for other influencers to get paid, if that makes sense. Because it's now saturated, there are so many micro-influencers, the paid deals are harder to come by. So accepting gifting does lower the commission for everybody in a sense. On the other hand, I think you do have to pay your dues in a sense. And if you've never done any kind of brand collaboration, I wouldn't expect a paid sponsorship. I think brands want to see that you've had experience with other partners. It does happen where brands just really see your value and will offer you money up front. But it gets a little bit dicey when it's like, should I push back? Should I advocate for more? And at the end of the day, I think you just have to be willing to lose the deal or hear a no when you are pushing back and asking for more. I want to empower young people, especially young women, to ask for more money And I've been in that position where I'm in a salaried job and I have to advocate for myself at a company that is male dominated. And I know how hard and almost emotional it can feel trying to ask for more money. So I totally understand that. And I want everyone to be paid what they're worth. But I think you just have to get real with yourself about what you are worth. If you are a small page and you haven't done partnerships before, I would just be realistic and consider accepting some gifting opportunities first and that will benefit you by getting you more comfortable and giving you you know some room to to play around if you're doing a gifted opportunity a brand isn't going to be as picky or harsh with their expectations so it's a good way to kind of get your training wheels but still be really picky about the products you promote I just would not accept anything gifted paid 
commission or affiliate based if you do not believe in it. Reason being, it's going to make the job harder for you and it is going to chip away at that trust your audience has in you. And it is fragile. Like that line is frail. If I see a blogger promoting something that is just odd for them, I know doesn't fit their normal standard or they're recommending something that I know they would never talk about otherwise, a red flag does go off for me. And I think, hmm, I trust their recommendations a little bit less. Or if somebody, you have to think, if somebody buys the product, spends their hard earned money and hates it, they're thinking of you every time they use that product. And they're thinking, I wasted this money. Another influencer told me to buy it. So I would take that trust really seriously. Now, when it comes to paid sponsored deals, there are certain tools out there such as Social Blue Book, which is something you pay for. There are also a lot of YouTube videos about pricing yourself for your value as an influencer. So I would encourage people if they're getting into the space and they're at the point where brands are asking, you know, what their rate is, I would do a little bit of research and watch some of those videos and stay current. There are also, you know, tools online that will help you kind of find out what you should price yourself at. What's interesting is I don't take anything, you know, for for complete face value when I watch something like that. I take it with a grain of salt because I know even though I'm a micro influencer, I am attractive to brands because my audience trusts me and I'm a professional. So I I know I can price myself a little bit above your average micro-influencer because my category is so niche. People who are watching my sponsored content are already there because they want skincare, wellness, those kind of recommendations. So brands are basically getting direct reach when they are working with me. So that's just something to know if you are an expert in a category. I do think you can price yourself slightly above and it's okay to ask for more. Trust me, a lot of these brands do have a budget and they may act like they don't. And sometimes they don't. And small business is definitely different. But when you're working with big brands, believe me, I have friends who have worked for these brands who will tell me I know what the budget is and what they have paid for other huge influencers. They can afford to pay you, you know, what you're worth. So it's kind of a fine line between being realistic and not trying to take advantage of a brand or ask for something crazy that's going to be a turnoff to them. But at the same time, ask for your your worth and add tax if you are at the place where you have an audience that trusts you. I think that's what it comes down to if somebody's wondering, am I at a point where I can charge For my content, ask yourself, does my audience trust and rely on my recommendations? You'll feel it. It's like an energy thing. You will feel it when that community is building and is excited and enjoys following you for your recommendations. Okay, guys, that was so much information. Thank you if you made it through all the way to the end. I wanted to make, you know, this episode to kind of kick off this topic and just see how much interest you have, how many people listen to this episode. 
please feel free to hit me up with your questions about this episode, about micro-influencing. You know where to find me at my SD Tessa on Instagram, at Tess Zolli on YouTube. And really quickly, if this podcast provides you value, it would mean so much to me if you took 30 seconds to go to iTunes and leave me a little nice review. I read them all and it really just fuels me because I do want to make time for this kind of content if you guys are enjoying it, but your reviews really go a long way. Thank you guys so much for listening. I love you so, so much, and I will talk to you in the next episode.